Hi, I'm Emily Abbott, the founder of The Brain Possible. We've created this space, our website, and this podcast to offer hope, to explore possibility over limitations, and to create community for families of exceptional children like yours. This is personal to me. I know firsthand that great change cannot come from a place of hopelessness. My son Carter's life taught me to run full steam ahead in the opposite direction of limitations and never to bees. In this work, we know we are not providing one specific solution to one specific problem. We're doing something more, moving toward a transformation of spirit. And we try to spread that message one connection at a time. Here, on this podcast, we'll begin another. We're so happy that you're taking this journey with us. We're excited to speak with Christine Meldoon today, a mom of three and a former educator turned nutritional therapy practitioner. Using ancestral nutrition and conscious parenting, Christine specializes in educating and supporting families in perinatal and childhood nutrition. She is the founder and creator of Nourish the Littles, an online community that offers parents education with an online course and one-on-one consultations related to nutrition and feeding families nourishing foods. She believes nourishing the body goes beyond just food. Let's get started. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I've been following your account for a while now, um, and I've been inspired by, you know, just information that you put out there and um, your way of being. And so I'm excited to talk to you here today and share you with the Brain Possible community. Thank you. Thank you so much. Honestly, I'm really honored by that introduction. (laughs) Okay, well, um, let's start with your why. Why, what started you on this journey? And why do you feel called to this work that celebrates whole food and connection? So my simple answer is the future generation, but the more elaborate, you know, past history to that is, goes into what I used to do before I was a nutritional therapy practitioner, which is an educator. And I worked in uh, one of the worst schools in East Harlem in New York City. And I saw firsthand what they were feeding the kids. And these were kids that couldn't afford to bring food to school. So they were dependent on the school breakfast and the school lunch. Mm-hmm. And even then I was not an NTP back then, but it really shocked me um, what they were feeding the kids. And on top of that, I was working with kids with special needs. So it kind of got my wheels turning and made me wonder, I wonder if some of these disabilities would be diminished or could be improved or maybe not even existent if these kids were fed different foods. Um, And so that was kind of the start of my interest in nutrition and the beginning of my why 
uh, and now, you know, I sit here after doing this for three years and my kids are the biggest purpose behind my why, but also the future generation. This is the first generation of kids that will not outlive their parents. Mm. And that is terrifying. And what have we done to our society and to our kids that they, that we're at this point? Um, so I think it's, that's, that's my why, <laughs> because we need wow. to fight for their, yeah. um, we have to leave. I think there's a Native American saying that says we need to, we are borrowing the earth from the future generations. And it, I believe very much in that. So we are, you know, everything that we're doing now is taking away from my grandkids and my grandkids' uh, grandkids. So we need to nourish them now so that the future generation can thrive. Yeah. Yeah. That's scary. I think I've heard that. Um, where did you hear that, um, that, the, that this generation will not outlive their parents? That is a great question. And I actually do not know where I <laughs> <laughs> it's been floating around in nutrition forums. So yeah. Yeah. And just for some context is I, this is, kind of a little bit of what I was talking about with the woman I interviewed yesterday. Um, this is because childhood cancer rates are going up and other uh, diseases. Is that your understanding? Yeah. yeah, right. And basically chronic illness. Mm. Um, so we are, there are kids currently with diabetes, with obesity, um, with allergies, just this chronic illness that will eventually turn into autoimmune disorders mm -hmm. and yes, cancer and cardiovascular cardio, cardiovascular issues and things yeah. like that. Chronic scary. disease. Yeah, it's scary. Um, so in your opinion and your work, what is the tie in between food connection and family? Can you talk about that intersection a little bit? Yeah. So they are very, very interconnected. Um, there's many different levels to this. The, the first I would say is that when we are sitting down to eat with our family, there is the emotional connection of this is, we're all sitting down together. We're going to talk about our day. We are going to eat this nourishing food that was provided. Um, if you have a, if you have a baby in front of you, it's a lot of modeling, um, modeling for the baby, for the kids, manners, um, just the way we eat, the way you interact as, as an individual at a table. Um, it's, it's mealtimes are a really special time for a connection. Mm -hmm. And how does this relate to food is, well, there's several levels. The first I would say is when we sit down at a meal, if we are not stressed, if there are no screens present, and if we are relaxed, then our body is in a parasympathetic state. And so this means that we can digest our food better. We can enjoy our meal 
uh, more thoroughly. And it just sets our bodies up for success to be able to go through the entire digestive process. Mm -hmm. On top of that, there's also the nourishment aspect of a parent, a caretaker has taken the time to prepare the food. Even if that food is, you know, thrown together quickly, or if it's leftovers, or if it's a hot dog, either way, that food has been prepared by someone who is caretaking, you know, their kids and sitting down and being grateful for the nourishment that's on the table. I mean, all of that is connected. Um, Yeah. Human connection. How old are your little kids? Yeah, seven years, four years, and almost one. Oh, and do you involve them in um, cooking at home? I do. Um, Lately, they have been more interested in playing than in being involved in the cooking process, but they each have their own job. So my four-year-old sets the table, my seven-year-old picks up the table, and then does the dishes afterwards. and my one-year-old sits on my hip or is in the yeah. ergo. <laughs> yeah, just um, absorbing. They, yeah, totally. They do They do enjoy cooking. And every once in a while, if you know they've come down from their play, then they'll either cut a few veggies or you know help me mix some foods. Um, but at this stage in life, maybe in the past year, they haven't helped as much. They've been interested in playing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. In, in your real food and real families course, you cover childhood nutrition, including picky eating. What tips do you have for our listeners who are struggling with this issue in particular? Cause we do get people who write in and, uh, tell us about their, their children's picky eating habits. Yeah. Okay. So there's a few, um, So the first thing I'm going to say about picky eating is it is a normal developmental stage and that it comes at a time when kids are beginning to exert more independence, both physical independence from their parents and also um, they're becoming more vocal with their language. And so they're learning that they also have independence with their words and that their words have meaning. So they can say things like, I don't want to eat this carrot and actually follow through with it and they don't have to. Um, so it's, it's important to understand that, you know, kind of the developmental side of it, that it's totally normal. And in a way we can celebrate it because it's our kids saying, Hey, look at me. I'm a little adult or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm starting to become more independent and exert my own opinions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a good thing. Um, at times where we need to maybe be more concerned about it would be if a child is not eating more than let's say 10 foods. Um, if a child is eating the same foods over and over again, there could be a few underlying causes. One could be a sensory processing disorder. Uh, there could be feeding delays. Another could be something like uh, digestive dysbiosis. So a dysbiosis within the gut microbiome. And 
this would cause an imbalance in bacteria and causes kids to crave the very foods that are actually harming them. Mm. And typically these foods are, they tend to be sweets, um, breads, pastas, uh, carbohydrates like that. And so if a parent has put aside that, okay, my, my child is eating more than 10 foods and I don't think that there's an underlying cause, then this is simply just a stage. So what can we do? Um, a few things we can do is the first is I always recommend if you're offering new foods to offer it in really, really small portions, very small portions. It's less intimidating for a child to look at a plate with just a few pieces of a new food versus a full plate of food and the expectation that they need to eat it. Um, the other tip would be to offer a piece of food on the plate that they are familiar with. It doesn't have to be something that they love eating, but something that they've seen before. So you have smaller portions, uh, a food item that they are familiar with. Mm-hmm. And then my the biggest uh, advice that I follow in my home and that I recommend to my clients comes from the, the Ellen Sater Institute, which is as the caregivers, it's our job to offer our kids the food and when they eat. So we choose what they eat and when they eat. Mm-hmm. They choose if they eat and how much. Mm-hmm. And really, this is so hard for parents. Um, I actually just posted about this today because we have so many of our past experiences that impact how we're feeding our kids today. And a lot of times, meal times can be triggering adults um, because we've grown up with, you have to clear your plate. You have to eat all of the food that's on your plate. You have to try this new food as opposed to treating our kids as if they were a dinner guest. And we would not tell our dinner guest, well, I'm not going to give you dessert if you don't eat that broccoli. Um, Or we wouldn't comment on our friend's plate about how they finished their rice, but they didn't finish their meat. Um, And so just giving our kids the same respect that you would a friend at the dinner table. Yeah, man, that is definitely not what I do. (laughs) (laughs) I think I probably do it wrong, but it works for me, I suppose. But I am, you know, I I make them clear their (laughs) I make them clear the plate of at least the things that I know it might be on any given day. I might just say, usually it's the meat I say you have to eat, but um, it might be the vegetables or I might say just three bites, but yeah, 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 I'm guilty of that one. (laughs) Oh no, trust me. We all are. I've fallen into those patterns as well before. Sometimes it's just you know, it's old habits coming up. Yeah. Um, is what you're familiar with because it's what I grew up with. Right. Um, and the other piece that I want to also bring up is trust. Really, really. The, so the smaller the child is, I would say babies through to about three years, they have incredible instincts on what it is their body needs. So there will be days in which they will binge on carbs and won't eat anything else. 
And it's probably because their brain is going through an insane amount of growth spurt where it is consuming all of these carbs like crazy. Or there might be days where all they're eating is protein. I'll never forget this. My daughter, my four-year-old, is she eats, but she doesn't eat as much as her older brother. Um, and there was one day this summer where she ate five full plates of meat. She didn't touch anything else on her plate. Nothing. She just ate meat as if her life depended on it. And the very next day, her shoes did not fit. And it, you know, it's just crazy to me because these kids know what their bodies need. Um, and sometimes if we just trust them mm. and eat from the plate, what they feel like they need, or even what they want, what tastes good to them, um, then it will yield a more peaceful mealtime than coaxing and bribing. Yeah. And a more peaceful person probably. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so you coach people to transition from processed foods to real foods. Um, I love this idea and it's a great idea. I want people, everyone to transition from processed foods to real foods, but for a lot of people, um, they may say this is easier said than done. Um, how do you get people started? Yeah. So one of the best ways to get started is by reading ingredient labels. And I do this with my clients by educating them on ingredients, mm. what certain ingredients are, what they mean, how they're made, and how they affect their body. Once we know what some of the ingredients that we are consuming are, you're less likely to want to purchase that same product again. And the good news is the more we vote with our dollars, the more they're, you know, the industry is creating cleaner products every yeah. day. Yeah. So instead of goldfish, I say, you know, try Simple Mills if you are gluten-free. You can try Jovial Brand has some fabulous sourdough crackers. These are not goldfish shaped, yes, and they're not orange and they're not cute, but they have much cleaner, cleaner ingredient options than a goldfish per se. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I work on is swaps and educating my clients on just what the ingredients are and what they do to the body. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't stand goldfish because once you know, <laughs> I feel like over the years, once I learn about something, you know, an ingredient or, you know, a hazard to our health that then I can't unlearn it. And so yeah. then I get a little bit rigid. Um, and I guess sometimes my husband has pointed out that I get a little bit too rigid uh, sure. because then well, I'm like, I can't, you can't have that. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. It's, um, I definitely have the same battle because there is a little bit of a, it's a little bit dangerous to know as much as I as do. do. Yeah. Um, but there's, there is one thing that I, I remind myself when, when I kind of go down this 
uh, yeah, this thought process, which is we are currently living an experiment. We as a society are a living experiment. Yeah. The way we are eating now has never been done before ever. Right. And we are what a hundred years into this experiment and we're not doing so hot. Uh, <laughs> And, and the other thing when it comes to ingredients is, yes, these ingredients are FDA approved, air quotes. Um, however, they have never been studied. The cumulative effect of these ingredients has never been studied. So we do not know what the combination of artificial sweeteners plus citric acid plus maltodextrin, you know, I can whatever other list, we do not know the combination, the cumulative effect of all of those ingredients together constantly. Mm -hmm. um, that is what we are doing on a daily basis when we are eating processed foods. Yeah. And that's part of my push for clients to, at the very least, swap them out for cleaner options. Mm -hmm. Well, so how long does it usually um, take people to switch over from processed, a completely processed diet to eating real foods. Um, I imagine that anyone who comes to you is looking for, like they're highly motivated to actually do it. Um, yeah. is that correct? Yeah. 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 Um, for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I would say, how long does it take? Um, I am, seven years into this journey mm -hmm. and I'm still working on it. So mm. I this is not a quick fix. This is a lifestyle change. Right. Um, and so just to remember that it's a journey and every year I learn something new mm -hmm. and I meant something new. And as you go, you just see what works for you and your family and your current life situation as well. Right. I mean, it, it 100% depends on each individual family unit. Um, because obviously there's variables like, uh, finances, time, the number of kids, uh, life situation, whether kids are in school or being homeschooled, um, involvement of extended family members, sports. I mean, there's so many variables. So we, I think doing the best that we can. And when you know better, you do better. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a step-by-step -step process. Right. Yeah. I do think that, I mean, I'm not cooking a hundred percent of everything from scratch yet okay. <laughs> at this moment. And also still, we, we eat out and over the summer we started eating out kind of a lot. Um, and I started to get like, ah, scared. Cause I always say this, I tried to follow this 80, 20 rule and then I kind of flipped it the other way. <laughs> and it yeah. was pretty bad. Yeah. But, um, I think it, that is nice for people to just know, I mean, just to take, you just have to start somewhere and it might just be one little swap at a time, you know, not eating those goldfish and swapping it for something else. Right. Yeah, definitely. So you believe that nourishing the body goes beyond food. What do you mean by that? And how does it show up in your work? 
Yeah, that is a great question. So this has been a journey that I did not begin on until I had my own kids. And I kind of had this realization that there was past trauma from when I grew up that was affecting the way I parented my kids, my relationships with others, and the way I interacted on a daily basis. And believe it or not, that also affected my physical health. Mm. And our emotional and our physical is completely intertwined. And so while I might be able to help certain clients with their physical health, Mm -hmm. there might be blocks that are beyond me because there are, you know, trauma hidden within the body that, you know, I don't have the expertise to release. But one of the things that I do is at least bring awareness to clients that when you're working with me, it's not just the physical. We are also going to talk about the emotional mm-hmm. and plays a piece into your physical health. Right. Yeah. So I have some similar realizations lately as I've, you know, done different testing and, you know, see that my gut is continuing to not heal. Um, and yeah. I think I've just been maybe resistant to, I must reduce stress and must meditate and I must go on my quiet walks and things like that because they actually help and your body cannot heal and it will not heal if you don't calm things down is my understanding. Yeah. Self-care. Self-care is really important. And for some of us, at least in my In my experience, I was not modeled self-care growing up. And so it's one of those things that I have to consciously advocate for for myself as an adult. Um, But yeah, and all of that is, uh, a part of that is reducing stress. And how do you like to take care of yourself or teach? What do you tell your clients? Yeah, meditation is a big one for sure. I definitely believe in meditation and journaling. For me personally, journaling has been really helpful. Um, Just, you know, writing your thoughts down. Uh, Being outside, grounding, being under the sunlight, sunshine. Um, If clients are, if they really like to exercise, exercise for sure. Um, And yeah, those, those are some of the, uh, some of my recommendations. Those are good ones. Yeah. So you work with clients for their children, but you end up working on their health as well. Yes. It often happens that I will end up working with a parent mm-hmm. because the parent is the one who's cooking, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to the young kids. And I've seen that occasionally a parent's uh, health issues will mirror the child. So whatever the parent needs work on, the child needs the same. Oh. Yeah. And this this happens because um, specifically with mothers, 
oftentimes, you know, and, and I'm, I mean, I'm guilty of it as well, but uh, we didn't heal our gut before we got pregnant or um, we had, you know, our own health issues and then we got pregnant and sometimes that got passed on to our kids. Right. But, yeah. yeah. So I think this has also been another topic that has been coming up a lot lately is the idea and then, you know, that maybe people don't really have, have thought, put a lot of thought into this, but your kids will be born with whatever microbiome that you had. Yeah. And yeah. so they're going to end up with probably the same toxin load <laughs> or a similar looking one and also same um, gut flora. Yes. Yes. That's definitely, that's definitely true. Um, and it, it also goes into play with, you know, how our, whether we have leaky gut, um, because a lot of the, if you have, if you're, you know, a pregnant mother with leaky gut, um, then a lot of these large proteins are passing through into the bloodstream and then affecting uh, the fetus and, right. and that. So, yeah, it's. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's difficult to be a parent in today's world. Yeah, that would make sense why my my kids all have the same food allergies as me. I think I never healed my leaky gut. Um, and so now, um, at least kids, they heal faster, supposedly. So they're working on healing now um and then hopefully they can move on and it's better to know sooner than later um you know definitely yeah yeah um i have within like my nutrition books and stuff i've read that a child's gut microbiome is not fully developed until five years of age so we have until they're about five to um feed them as much nourishing food as we can all the fermented foods you know, get some good probiotics. And uh, yeah. That's someone said that to me the other day, but but that's a little disheartening because what about beyond that? Can't we make changes beyond that, beyond five, you six? You definitely can, for sure. Yeah. I, I think it's possible. Yeah. It's just easier. When, it's easy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so you, what do you mean by conscious parenting? Um, you, you mentioned a few things, um, like at the dinner table, um, but how can our listeners take steps to get to conscious parenting? Mm, that's such a great question. So one of the, the best ways to do it is to be present in the moment. And it sounds really simple. Uh, because we think, oh, yes, 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 I'm always present in the moment. But realize that when you are with your kids at the dinner table, for example, are you savoring that bite of food? Are you watching your child eat? Or are you thinking about the next thing that needs to happen? Mm -hmm. Or taking a peek at your cell phone? Or maybe you know, you, yeah, these, this idea that we are fully present in the moment and 
we are respecting our kids as the growing individuals that they are, as their own autonomous beings. They are not like us. Mm. They're literally blank slates. And, and then the other aspect of conscious parenting too is the realization that our childhood 1000% is affecting the way we parent our own kids. We might not think it is, yeah, but it creeps in of every moment of every day. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. So again, if we're talking about the dinner table and as a child, we were told that if we could not, if we did not finish our plate of food, we could not eat dessert. It's possible that as parents, we are repeating that same pattern, or maybe we're not actually saying it, but sitting at the dinner table and watching our child not finish his plate of food gives us anxiety. Yeah. Us. And so conscious parenting would be the realization that as we're sitting at that dinner table and you're stealing glances at your child anxiously to mm-hmm. see if eating their food, reflecting in your mind, stopping and realizing, wait a second, I'm feeling anxious right now because he hasn't touched his broccoli. Why am I feeling anxious about this? Why is this something that is triggering me? And maybe not in that moment reflecting on it, but taking the time after the kids are asleep or later in the day to meditate on it, um, pray about it for those that are spiritual, journal about it, just think about why was it so triggering to me that he didn't eat the broccoli? Why yeah. did it bother me? Yeah. And just like getting to the root cause, which is very, very difficult. I mean, that's another, that is also another lifelong journey. Um, and that's the emotional lifelong journey of uh, improving your health. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what I think of when I think of conscious parenting. Right, right just kind of dropping into our ourselves and, and how, you know, why we are doing the things that we're doing or when anxiety bubbles up, why, why is it, what's causing that and thinking about that Yeah, and being, and, and being present with our kids in each moment. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so there is a, um, a fabulous, uh, a wise woman of mentor of um, respectful parenting called Magda Gerber. Mm, yes. Yes. She's so incredible. And one of the things that she talks about is want not quality time. And basically what this translate to translates to is quality time spent with our kids in which they don't want anything from us. Just just our presence. Right. And moments like changing our baby's diaper or helping our kids get dressed or feeding them. These are all these want not quality times Mm -hmm. where we are literally all they are seeking is our presence Mm -hmm. and our connection. And so it's times like that where it's perfect opportunity to offer that to our kids. Yeah. Yeah. I find that this is uh, something that I'm, I have a desire to, you know, 
parent in this way and it's a struggle for me and I have to keep reminding myself, you know, over and over again to drop into that because it's not a habit yet. But I completely understand. It's not quite a habit yet for me either. Sometimes I, I fall back into, I guess, behavior as parenting styles. Yeah. Christine, is there anything else that you would like to share with the brain possible audience today to be complete? I mean, I would like to leave on a note of hope and just that knowing that our kids are worth it and that we are worth it. So this work on ourselves, whether it's physical or emotional or both, will yield a better version of ourselves. And then we can become better parents and will eventually create a better society. So I think that, um, especially nowadays, when there's a lot of discussion about individual responsibility, and it is our responsibility to take care of others. And I'm actually going to go against that belief and say that it's actually our responsibility to take care of just ourselves. And when we focus on just ourselves and we improve our health, again, physically and emotionally, we are improving the nucleus of our family. And if everyone is doing this, then overall, hopefully we will have a more conscious society and everyone will be healthier overall. Hmm. And I really think it starts with us. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And it takes a little bit of pressure off too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Really? I only have to take care of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, thank you for sharing, um, this, these little bits of wisdom, um, and taking a little dive into your work with us today. How can our audience find out more about you and your work? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, so I have a website called nourishthelittles.com. I am on social media, uh, on Instagram under Nourish the Littles. And if you are familiar with Bloss Life, which is a parenting expert website, I am also there. Awesome. And is that, um, you mentioned that earlier, is it, can you spell that? Yeah, it's B-L-O-S-S, life. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Well, I think that's it. (laughs) That's great. Thank you so much. This is really cool. I wanted to close the door on a few things discussed in today's podcast, as promised. The statement that this will be the first generation to not outlive their parents was first presented to Christine in a YouTube video by Dr. Robert Lustig called Sugar, the Bitter Truth, 
I highly recommend watching it. He briefly mentions his colleague, Dr. David Ludwig, who discovered this data on the CDC. This generation of kids will not outlive their parents due to rising obesity rates, heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and Alzheimer's. Also, Christine made a mistake when referencing Magda Gerber and the wants nothing quality time. In reference to caretaking activities with kids, this is actually called wants something quality time. This is when there is a goal to accomplish such as feeding time, changing a diaper, getting dressed, bath time. Wants nothing quality time is when the parent is fully present in the child's presence with no agenda except to be with the child and observe them. I wanted to clarify that distinction. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today and that you learned something new. Do you have a question for Christine? Do you have your own story to share with us? We would love to hear from you. Let us know how we can be useful in your journey. Email us at info at thebrainpossible.com. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and share our podcast if that feels true for you. You may also consider visiting our website for more information on stories, therapies, and clean healing products that we think that you will love. As always, thank you for spending your precious time with us at The Brain Possible. See you next week and be well. Well.